This is the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with world building warrior Angeline Trevina and planning and productivity powerhouse Holly Line. Every week we bring you discussions on the craft of writing, author life and business, and interviews with some of the industry's most unstoppable authors. A writer's life doesn't have to be solitary. We're here to bust that myth, support you on your journey, and encourage you to be unstoppable. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Unstoppable Authors. I'm your host, Holly Line, and today I have a very special interview with best-selling urban fantasy author Steve McHugh. We talked about his experience publishing with Amazon imprint 47 North, how he manages his three interconnected series, and how authors can build relationships with readers. Before we get into the fantastic interview, here's my personal update. So I've just wrapped up a very positive April and am more or less recovered from the burnout that I had experienced earlier in the year. I've set some pretty ambitious goals for May, but I feel really good about them. I'm currently working on book two in my Lies the Dead Tell series, and I'm considering getting a new cover for the first book in the blood at the same time as getting the cover for this one done. So um, I've talked a lot on this podcast before about um about the importance of getting covers redone periodically and how I relaunched my four book series last year so this is something that I really believe in um now I really liked this cover at first uh, but as time has passed I can see that it's not quite right for the genre it was the first cover that I got done with this designer who has since done six more covers for me, uh, seven, in fact, if you include goal setting for writers. Um, And I think just back then, uh, when she did In the Blood, it was the first one and we were just figuring each other out. So I'm excited to see what she might be able to do with it now that we are like more established uh, working together. So I'm planning to finish the second draft of this book in May and also start work on the next Felix book. So a few weeks ago, I polled my mailing list to find out whether they wanted book two of Felix as soon as it's ready or would prefer to wait until book three is also ready. And they overwhelmingly voted for the latter. So I'll be writing the two books back to back, which I haven't done in ages. And I'm really excited to to do again. Um, And this fits really well with my plan for my year ahead because we're having to move out of our house for three months while we have quite an extensive extension built. Uh, So trying to launch anything in the later months of this year was just not going to happen. So I'm really glad I brought this to my readers and got their opinion because it really validated what I wanted to do anyway. So I do recommend sharing like this, uh, sharing things like this with your readers and asking for their opinions. It obviously really helps to build a relationship with them and to help them to feel involved in your process. Now then, last week we asked you what age group you write for. We had a poll in the Facebook group and the majority said that they write for adults, but there were also a few votes for young adult and one for middle grade. In the comments, Mary Maguire said, anyone in the trad publishing industry reading my stuff says I write YA. Actually, I write for anyone who enjoyed the Harry Potter books or who likes Terry Pratchett books. That's not an age range per se, more of a mindset or an approach to life. Uh, which, yes, I I totally agree with. And as we talked about in last week's episode, actually, most people who read young adult are not teenagers. They are actually um, adults. So that fits completely with what you're saying. Uh, Nicola Hebron says, my current series is YA fantasy romance, but I'm moving to adult romantic suspense slash crime thrillers, which is very exciting. And Nathan says, I wrote YA. I thought I wrote adult until I got close to the end and I was learning all about it. Then I was like, oh, this is YA. Yes, um, it's interesting, isn't it? How sometimes we are our understanding of something shifts as we write and 
and we get a clearer picture more towards the end. I completely relate to this as a discovery writer. <laughs> and Deb Jensen says, I thought I wrote YA, but actually I write middle grade. Um, and yes, Deb, knowing what I know about your books, I completely agree. We had also on Instagram uh, for our question of the week, Melinda said that she writes across middle grade, young adult and adult, um, which I think is fantastic. It's great to um, try out different styles and and get comfortable writing different things because that's building your core skills as a writer. So that's awesome. And I also wanted to give a big thank you to Melinda because she's always sharing the podcast and recommending us and we really do appreciate it. So thank you, Melinda. That's that's awesome. We think you rock. So this week, my question to you is, how do you keep track of the details in your books or series? We have no new patrons this week, but thank you again to all of our lovely patrons for your support. Every month, patrons get early access to episodes, exclusive audio clips of our after-show banter, and the warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting the show. If you'd like to join the community, you can do so for just £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And now, on to the interview. With me today is Steve McHugh. He's a best-selling author of multiple urban fantasy series. His book, Scorched Shadows, was shortlisted for a Gemmell Award for Best Novel. Steve was born in Mexborough, South Yorkshire, but now lives with his wife and three young daughters in Southampton. Welcome to Unstoppable Authors, Steve. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to start off by learning a bit about your writing journey. Are you like so many of us have been writing since you could hold a pen or is it something different? Uh, I've, I've always been, I've always liked writing. I always wanted to write. But um, my, when I was about 14, we had a thing at school um, whereby every week you had to read a book and then write about it. You had to, in like a journal of reading. Mm-hmm. And pretty much every single book that I had was a Choose Your Own Adventure by Steve Jackson and Eve Moonston. And my English teacher, Mr. Piercy, took me one side and said, basically, you need to read a proper book, actual book, without the use of dice and pens and paper and things. And um, he said, why don't you go to the library next door and just pick any two books, take them home and read them. And I went to the library next door and I picked up uh, Terry Pratchett's Guards, Guards and um, Stephen King's It which is probably highly inappropriate to be at a school for 14-year-olds, but there we go. And I took them home and I read them. And uh, I pretty much decided at that point, that's what I want to do. I want to write books. And um, and then it took me ages to actually write a book. Turns out writing books is not as easy as just saying, I want to write a book, and then doing it. Um, so I, I kind of dabbled for ages and ages. And then... When I was 25, um, I found out that I was about to have my first child with my wife. Um, and that was the uh, get it, either do it or, or don't be one of those people who's forever saying, one day I'm going to write a book. Mm-hmm. Just go and write a book. So I, um, I joined an online writing group, uh, which was uh, a part of Kelly Armstrong, who writes... Um, Women of the Other World, who wrote Women of the Other World series, mm. Urban Fantasy. She had this online writing group, and I joined there, and I spent about uh, four years learning the craft of writing. And I wrote a book, and that will never see the light of day. <laughs> that's that's in a, on a USB drive somewhere. I don't even know where it is. And, um, and then I wrote a second book, uh, and that one got published. And... Um, and then, then I didn't have an agent or anything. I self-published it. And then the my um, a publisher, 47 North, contacted me and said, we'd like to republish your book and publish all of the rest of your books. And, uh, and then here I am. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, it's kind of the dream, isn't it? Like being approached and picked up like that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was when, when they contacted me, I'd just published my self-published my second book, um, Born Hatred. And um, I thought it was a joke. It was a friend of mine having a laugh. And, uh, and I spoke to them and I was like, yeah, okay, okay, that's fine. And then I signed a three book deal with them. They were going to republish the first two and publish the third one. And after that, 
they, they kindly took me aside and said, do you want to sort out getting an agent? Um, so I was like, yeah, all right, yeah, let's do that. So uh, I went and, and found um, Paul Lucas, who's my agent, and he's been my agent ever since. And that's about seven, seven, six, seven years now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, cool. So um, 4-7 North is an Amazon imprint. Correct? It is. Yeah. Mm. So what's the process of working with them? Because I, I mean, I have a couple of friends who are with Amazon imprints and it's always interesting because it seems very similar to a big traditional publisher and yet not because obviously it's Amazon. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. It's very similar and very different. All at the same yeah. time. Um, they are uh, a bit different in terms of um, they can just promote your book like nothing else can mm. you know they they've got access to every single person who has an amazon account and that's probably hundreds of millions of people worldwide at this point and they can tell them hey this book's out i to read it and then they don't quite do it like that because they only target people who might have book read books and mm-hmm. buy books but yeah their, their wealth of their their, their knowledge of uh, how to sell books is very good mm. um and and they get good people in, usually people who work within the industry, and and who are passionate. And I I have a bad thing to say about about uh, um, working for them. I think they they're just a great bunch. And uh, I know people who've worked with other imprints of theirs and and had uh, and had good times with them as well. They just um yeah I I know a lot of people are kind of uh, Amazon sort of thing. <laughs> But uh, but they're they're completely separate from from or mostly separate from actual Amazon. They're, mm. they're publishing imprint. So um, no, they they're a good, good group. I uh, I've, I've enjoyed working with them. Mm-hmm. How much, if any, input do you get in things like um, your cover? And you know, do you have like an editor that you work with routinely? What's the sort of whole system like? Um, basically. Uh, the the first the first three books um, they were already the first two were already done so the third one I kind of had very little leeway they said this is what the cover is going to be and I said that's very pretty thank you very much <laughs> um, and then the longer it's gone on the more leeway I've got so by the time they, they they the last few series since like I don't know book six maybe they've been very much uh, been more of a collaborative effort on what the covers look like. I usually, they usually say, what would you like for the cover? And I usually say something. And then they usually say, okay, do something possible. Cause that's not, <laughs> um, that won't work in any way, shape or form, unless your cover is about five meters wide. So, uh, yeah, they, they usually rein me in a little bit. And, uh, and, but usually what happens is, um, I send them the book. They do an, an edit. I, I work with an editor and, I think three different editors during my entire time there. Um, so 13 books own six, actually, yeah, yeah, seven years. So they, um, uh, they, they get people who usually uh, a couple of them have been agents that I've worked with who, who do editing for, for publishing publishers at the same time. So I know that I'm getting a decent, kind of standard of editing because mm-hmm. that's what they would expect for their own clients um and then that's dev edit and then and i usually get about three or four weeks for that and then i send that back and then we do another round and that's a couple of weeks and i send that back and then i don't hear anything for about a month and then i get my copy edits and my proofreads and my line edits and probably something else that i've forgotten um and they've always been pretty collaborative with me. They're quite keen to 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 not say this is what's happening. Uh, like they let me. They, I've I've never had to not been able to pick my title. And I know some authors don't. They mm. they say this is what I'd like to call it, and the publisher says that's not going to happen. <laughs> this is what we think it should be. Um, the I've only had one book where the title I wanted wasn't the title that ended up being on there. And I've only had one book where it was uh, more editorially led than what I was used to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But other than that, it's been it's been a very collaborative effort. It's been it's been kind of they've they've given me quite a lot of leeway to just tell the story I wanted to tell, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, from what I've seen of your various series, there it's one universe. They're connected. Um, so, how do you have a system for keeping track of everything? I have a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's very exciting. Uh, I have many spreadsheets, actually. I have a spreadsheet for every world. So since the Heliquin, Avalon and Rebellion Chronicles books are all in one universe, I have one spreadsheet for the universe and then one spreadsheet for each series. Mm-hmm. Mostly because otherwise it would be massive and unwieldy and ridiculous. Mm. Um, and on in that spreadsheet, I will have lots of workbooks. And one workbook might say the magic system and just just quick notes of how it's done one will be characters so just the name this their species their age what they look like whether or not they're dead at a certain time <laughs> um who killed them why they killed them things like that and then uh and 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 so so for example at the moment i'm i'm, I'm writing an, uh, an epic fantasy series and i have the spreadsheet which is directly in front of me and there's like 12 tabs for things like historical events and the species and organizations and phenomenon places and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. so uh spreadsheets uh, they are they are the future i think <laughs> of of writing books i've I, I i do all my world building in uh on a notebook with a fountain pen mm-hmm. first um but i don't write the, the book i don't i don't i write as i go along i don't actually know what's going to happen until i get to the end i know the ending i know the beginning and i kind of make it up as i go mm-hmm. but the world building i do in note form and then i put it into a spreadsheet and then populate the spreadsheet as i go mm-hmm. um with characters and things like that yeah i was going to ask you if you do it you know fill that spreadsheet in all in advance or just kind of keep track do you so do you um do you ever have to sort of go back through what you've written and add more details to the spreadsheet or do you really keep it up as you're going along uh i i i I, i'd like to say i do the second of those two things (laughs) the truth is i do not do the second of those two things i regularly write something and then uh at some point i'll be reading it back through or be doing edits and i'll be going what color is her hair (laughs) <laughs> oh, I didn't write what colour her hair was, but I did mention it two books ago and I didn't make a note of it. So that's very clever of me. <laughs> There's some of that still. Um, yeah, I, I am a... Uh, I do try to, when I put a character, or especially when I create a new character, stick their name in, stick the relevant bits in, uh, what they look like, powers, things like that. But sometimes I am. Yeah, I, I do forget. And and there have been occasions where where characters who I've written in book three, and they're now in book seven, and I've never mentioned what colour their hair was, and that's because I forgot in book three to mention it, and never wanted to mention it in case I got it wrong. <laughs> uh, so I've just kind of left them hair, their hair colour as they have hair because <laughs> um, it's easier. So yeah, but since but since then I have tried to I do try to stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. I can relate so hard. I'm forever having to check people's eye colour and things like that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. the little details that will that people will email you about yes. always <laughs> why did their eyes change color um, yeah, yeah magic happened um that is that is the answer to everything <laughs> anything there's something wrong magic happened it's fine yeah. <laughs> um so i i'm quite I, i'm <laughs> so I'm just I'm reading your one of your books at the moment um and um yeah I'm I'm just a tiny bit in love with Nate um I'm <laughs> like anti-heroes are like my bread and butter I absolutely love them um and yeah did you set out to to create that quite sort of morally gray character or did he just sort of go that way <laughs> uh yeah um I kind of set out, I wanted to do a morally great, I like morally great characters. I like that kind of uh, Daredevil, Wolverine, kind of like, they do bad things, but they're a good guy. And the bad things that they do are usually to really bad people. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily Daredevil, Daredevil is usually doing, trying to do the good right thing, but 
there's that always that little gray area of did he go too far does he you know sort of thing and that's that was kind of my thought process on it and then he just took a life of his own and and kind of a kind of yeah just kind of every every, every book i've got I, I know his 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 of all the characters his is the timeline from his birth to uh, the end of the, the books that I know the most. So I know all the little things he's done and all the horrible little things he's done that he'd rather not have remembered. And I just thought that after he lived for so long and he's done these horrible things and he tried to atone for horrible things, he'd be a little bit, you know, grey area-ish. Mm. He'd be kind of a bit kind of, uh, you know, this is a terrible person and this terrible person done something terrible to me. So, yes, I'm going to do something terrible back. <laughs> uh so yeah, and then and then the characters around that kind of form sort of uh, formed around him. So Tommy and and, and Diana and uh, Casey and all that kind of stuff kind of formed around Nate's greyish area. <laughs> um, so some of them kind of feel a little bit like they might be his conscience more than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you consciously try to explore? themes through the you know through his actions and through the things you make him do <laughs> um <laughs> yeah yeah I've, I've don't always um I, I i've always been of the opinion of that when you write a book you should write the book that you would be entertained by reading that's my main kind of function and Yes, there are parts of I don't what what book is it that you're reading at the moment? Crimes Against Magic. Okay, so so I won't spoil anything that happens. Yeah, no, don't. But but but, but quite a lot happens between then and and Horseman's War, which is the kind of his whole arc, really. Mm -hmm. And um, and so yeah, I I I try to um, yeah, I don't I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't try to be preachy about stuff, but there are things that I believe um that I oh so I'm not religious in any way, shape or form. And Nate's not religious because I think that would be a really strange thing for me to write someone in this world mm. who is deeply religious and I don't have that kind of thing. Um so he's very pragmatic about religion, especially his age. And he's seen people yeah. pretend to be gods and he's all this kind of stuff. So, but I don't go all out kind of preachy. I try, I try to stay away from preaching to people or kind mm. of being like, because Nate's quite morally ambiguous on occasion. And some of the people he's friends with are even more morally ambiguous on occasion. So it would be hard for me to kind of like, you shouldn't do this, but he's going to do it anyway. Because... <laughs> That's what I want him to do. Well, that's what he wants to do anyway. So, yeah, I, I try not to, mm. mostly. There will probably be a few times when, for example, uh, in Sorcery Reborn last year in, in America with all the riots and things, uh, I wrote this a year before that happened. And in that book, there are riots in Portland. Right. And then I got lots of messages from people saying, there are now riots in Portland and you just wrote about that before it happened and then in another one of those books there were riots in dc and after that happened i got a message saying you know that you wrote about the riots in dc and now they're happening in dc is there something going on here which you need to tell people about <laughs> um so there's a few coincidences of of, of those mm. things in in, in um, rebellion chronicles mm. um and, and yeah i think people have said that as they've gone along my own points of view are kind of pockmarked the books more and more i don't know if that's true or not mm. uh but probably because <laughs> it becomes easier to do the more mm. you the more you've done yeah it's it's interesting you know sometimes there are just it's maybe it's just coincidence but there's a lot of things that crop up in fiction and then come around yeah. and i'm a big babylon 5 fan and i know that when j michael straczynski was writing it there would be things, quite specific things that he would write into the show that then happened, you know, like people getting ill and people getting pregnant and like, you know, weird life things. And the cast mm. were always like, hang on a minute. They'd read a script and be like, Joe, Joe, hang on. <laughs> what are you going to do to my life here? Um, yeah. So 
yeah things happen <laughs> yeah no yeah that is that's true i, I think i think uh i think the simpsons is the, the best one of that they've mm. predicted or, or been said to predict all of these things that have happened yeah. and i guess that's just the case of if you you say enough stuff and you write enough books and episodes or whatever then eventually some of the stuff you're saying is going to come true yeah mm. that's that's my thought process on it anyway <laughs> If anyone, if some deity is playing with me, then then uh, then I'd, I'd rather they stop right now. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have a favourite series that you've written so far? Oh, oh, that's really hard. My favourite book. Oh, I've probably got. I, I, I couldn't pick. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> My favourite book was Scorch Shadows, which is the last book in the Helicon Chronicles. Um, it wasn't supposed to be the last book in the Helicon Chronicles, but my publisher asked me if we could make it the last one and then launch the Avalon Chronicles, which is kind of a side story mm-hmm. between the Helicon and Rebellion Chronicles. So it kind of sits in between. Um, I loved writing that book. I mean, I loved writing that book. There is a character who you are introduced to in Crimes Against Magic who plays a really big part in that book. And... Um, he is probably one of my favourite characters to write in the entire series. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's a bit of a... When, when people read the books, I am, I'm, there's normally two people... Apart from that, there's two people who, who I get messages about. He's one of them. I won't tell you his name. And the other one is Remy. And Remy, you haven't met yet because he's not introduced into Lies Ripped Open, which is book five. Remy is a three-and-a-half-foot fox man thing. Okay. Um, who swears a lot <laughs> and likes to stab people. Cool. And he is, without a shadow of a doubt, the most popular side character I've written, <laughs> I think, because he literally swears. Like, he he goes up to, you know, gods and goddesses who could crush him beneath their boot, and he will just tell them where to go and <laughs> threaten them with this little sword, and he does not care at all. Um, I love any, anything. Anytime I get to write Remy, then I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think I, I I will have a very soft spot for uh, Rebellion Chronicles because I think, and I'd like to believe this to be true, that the more I've written, the better I've got. Mm-hmm. So I think Rebellion Chronicles is my best writing. Um, but Scott Shadows is is a book I love, um, and it got nominated for a Gemmel, and that was an awesome experience. And I lost to Robin Hobb, which was also an awesome experience because yeah. it's Robin Hobb. <laughs> Um, if there's someone you're going to lose to, you lose to the best, and Robin Hobbs the best. So, you know, you can't go wrong. Uh, so, yeah, those are my my probably my favourite books mm. that I've you, written. Yeah, how do you feel when you finish a series? Oh, uh, I usually take some time off. Mm. Um, when I finished Heliquin, it was weird because I knew I still had quite a lot of story left to write. Um. Avalon Chronicles is about the side characters in the Heliquin series and less about Nate mm-hmm. um, for various reasons. Um, so I kind of just dove into that and got on with it. And then Avalon Chronicles finished and Rebellion Chronicles becomes about Nate again. So I was just straight back into that again. And then Rebellion Chronicles finished and I didn't have more. And that was weird. That mm-hmm. was kind of me sitting around twiddling my thumbs thinking I've told this story now what am I supposed to do next because <laughs> I don't have another book in the series um it didn't take very long but but I, I when, whenever I finish a book doesn't matter what I take uh usually um like three or four weeks off I just don't write anything for a month I write very quickly and I write in a very short period of time um so I was writing a heliquin book no, a Nate, any Nate book in like three months, just sitting down, just absolutely hammering them out. Um, so I tend to just take time off and just go and spend some time with my family, play some video games, see my friends. Obviously, not in the middle of a pandemic, it's not been the best time to finish a book and then be like, I'm gonna go and sit over there, <laughs> yes, because I can't sit here anymore. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I, I just kind of chill out for a few weeks and decompress before going back into whatever's next. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And how does it work then with the publisher? Like, do you tell them what you're going to write next, or do they have do you, do they have options on your books? Like, how does it work? Uh, well, they um, usually what happened was, uh, well, yeah, with the Helen Chronicles, I had the first three a contract for the first three, and then a contract for the next two, and then a contract for the next two, and then a contract for the Avalon Chronicles, and a contract for uh, Rebellion Chronicles. And usually what happened was they would say, what's the next book in the series going to be about? And I would write a pitch for the next book in the series. And however many books I'm contracted to write three or whatever. So I'd do a pitch for each book, and then I'd send them a pitch, and they'd go, great. And then I'd ignore the pitch and write whatever the book was that ended up coming out. Um, I've never written a pitch and it had been accurate to the book and was finished, <laughs> ever. Um, it just has to sound good. Yeah. Uh, and be roughly, you know, not absolutely insane. <laughs> and you'll probably be okay. Um, by the time I got around to Helen Chronicles, um, uh, uh, Rebellion Chronicles, sorry, I, um, I've been working for them for so long and I've pub- they've published so many books. I said, this is the three books I want to do. This is what the end of the story is. And they were just said, yeah, okay, it's fine. We can we can do that. I think uh, the the pitch for book three in the Helicon Chronicle in uh, Rebellion Chronicles was a paragraph, and that was it. And um, I had no idea quite what I was going to do in that paragraph, but uh, it all changed when I actually wrote the book anyway. So that's fine. But yeah, I'm not very good at pitching. I don't like pitching. Um, I suck at it. And if I'm honest with you, because my brain, I'll write all the pitch down. I'll go, yeah, that sounds great. And I'll send it off and they'll go, yeah, that's great. And then I'll sit to actually write it and go, ah, rubbish. Let me write something else. <laughs> and that seems to be how it works. Um, and I've, I've met author friends of mine who are exactly the same. So I don't feel quite so, you know, outcast by it. But um, it is a, uh, it is just, it probably drives publishers insane. But um, yeah, I uh, I do. Uh, I'm not a big fan of pictures. They just synopsis and pitches. The, the two things I just I don't ever want to. I'm going to have to do lots of them in my life, and I know I am. And I've come full circle of accepting that. I don't want to do them because they suck and they're <laughs> horrible. And I've never met anyone who's like synopsis. Yay! That sounds awesome. <laughs> um. So yeah, no. Uh, yeah. The that's not fun. Does someone at the publisher write the description, or do you have on to the do back that? the yeah. the pit uh, for the back of the book? The blurb. Yeah. They normally, um, they, I've done it two ways. The first way is that what happens is they send me, they want me to fill in a synopsis and send it off, and then they want me they they ask me to write kind of the brief, like a two paragraphs of what the book is actually about. And then they come up with the blurb for the back of the book based on the synopsis and this little pitch thing. Mm-hmm. And then they'll send me sort of like a, a taglines. So a long tagline and a short tagline and, and then a paragraph tagline or something like that. And then one will go onto the book when it's on the, on the web page. And, and then, um, and as I got through them, I ended up writing some of them myself um, because I knew what I wanted. Uh, I think the problem that I've always had, and, and uh, hopefully I'm not the only one in the world that has this, is that because you write in the book, you become really invested in the book. So when someone says, distill your book into two sentences, you kind of go, um, I don't want to do that. That sucks. I ain't doing that. No, that's my, my book is 100,000 words. I'm not going to do that. That's, that would drive me insane. So I think, um, I think that's a... Uh, I, I, I so I, they do do it for me normally, but I have done them myself in the past. Um, and but that's only when I've been absolutely certain mm. about what I want to say. Um, I think maybe the Rebellion Chronicles is the only books I've done them for because, again, I think by the time you've done it a lot, you kind of get used to what they want and how things work. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Would you ever consider going indie again? Yes. Yeah, that's not a problem. Um, I, I've published novellas indie, um, mm-hmm. three novellas at the moment, um, Infamous, Rain Hunted and Frozen Rage. 
each one about, well, two of them about Nate and there's about Remy. Um, and I am writing a, or have written a, uh, a novel uh, about another character in the Helicon books called Diana, who is a Roman goddess. Mm-hmm. And um, it was supposed to be a novella. I was, I was given a contract by, uh, by Audible to write five novellas and send them in. And I started writing it, and it was very quickly apparent that this was now a novel, not a novella. Uh, so it's with my agent at the moment, um, because uh, we were still going to send it to uh, Audible, but he wants to have a read of it before it goes, because it's about four times longer than a novella needs to be. Uh, it's, it's about 80,000 words, and the previous novellas are about 25-ish to mm-hmm. 25-ish. So yeah, I'm happy to self-publish. Um, self-publishing is hard, like really hard. Um, and I'm not suggesting that traditional publishing is a piece of cake, but self-publishing, having to do everything yourself is very difficult. And um, but I'm, I'm, I think I think that more and more authors are going to do both. Mm. I think it's becoming. Uh, if you you know, I, I feel very lucky and fortunate that I do this as a living. I've been doing this full time for five years now, and I think that when you're out of contract, especially when you're out of contract, there's still stuff you want to write about, and and it might not be stuff that would a traditional publisher would go, yes, I wish to publish your weird ass thing. Um, they might not say that. They might be like, that's never in a million years getting published by us. Thank you very much. Mm. So you publish it yourself. You know, I was told, I've been told by a few publishers over the years that um, no one wants to publish a female werewolf book because that's been done, I guess. Ginger snaps maybe, or I don't know. Um, and the Diana story is a, a female were bear book. Uh, and it falls into the same category of, of wares, wolves and lions or whatever. Mm-hmm. and um, a complete lack of, of, you know, traditional publishers wanting to really take them on. Mm. So it's perfect for self-publishing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't see any reason why any author can't do both or do one or the other. It doesn't really matter. Um, but if they want to do both, then yeah. And I'm quite happy to do both because I have so many ideas and so many books to write, and there's no way I can imagine where a publisher will publish them all, mm. because I just have I just you know I, I probably come up with a new idea every week, and I have to discard half of them because they kind of start to merge in and become one. But mm. I think self-publishing is an excellent avenue for. Um, a, 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 a just any indie author and but also for a traditional author who wants to kind of experiment and do some other stuff and do mm. some things that a traditional publisher might not touch yeah i have a theory about female wear shifter mm-hmm. creatures because i write I'm, i have a series that's um female main character shifter and i think it's because male characters who turn into seven foot tall slobbering kill beasts are fine, but it's not sexy if they're female. It's not um, acceptable yeah. for them to be that violent, that bestial. It's so. it's that's that's a good point. Um, I I I've I've been told apparently that I write good women. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always something that I wanted to do. And I think that if you if you are a, you know, a straight white dude, you should be, and you write characters who aren't straight white dudes, you should be doing your best to make sure that they are superb. Not silly, not stereotypes, but they need to be spot on because mm-hmm. that's not what you are. So you need to research and the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think there's probably some truth to the fact that big wares who can crush people in their hands, probably not considered sexy by certain people. But Diana, 
who's the main character of the the, the book, she will happily rip your arms off and beat you to death with them. <laughs> and she's as sexy as all hell. Yeah. She's a Roman goddess. She's amazing. She's yeah. you know, she's um, she's she's a, a staple character of a lot of the, the Helicon books and, and going on from there. And and yeah, no, there's um, I, I don't see how someone's capacity to do violence could be you know sexy you know you can't say that woman's very sexy because she can tear that man's head off <laughs> or not sexy and then say that a man doing the same is is attractive mm. uh i find that really strange but i think you got a fair point i think there's there's certainly i think there's also certainly a and it's not just the 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 wares i think violence in general when a female character, main character, is committing pretty horrendous acts of violence on people, um, I, I think that some people are very quickly turned off by that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, as it happens, um, I caught the end of a documentary about He-Man last night. It's totally my other half's fault. Um, but <laughs> yeah, She-Ra was not allowed to kill anybody. Yes, I saw that documentary. That was bonkers, and uh, yeah, the, the, she she wasn't allowed to hit them, was she? She had no. to kind of like twirl out of the way, <laughs> wave her sword in their general direction. Like, like, <laughs> like see, I've met women who like fight with long swords and stuff, and they will kick your ass, and they've got no problems of doing it. They do not twirl out of the way of anyone coming at them. Um, yeah, it was the most bizarre thing that mm. that kind of sexism is was was you know they're, they're making a, a show for girls with a female led and they're completely changing what the girls brought the girls to he-man in the first place which was that fantastical kind of element yeah for pirouetting and ballet <laughs> which completely goes against what he-man was anyway yeah and that kind of world that they created but yeah no it was that's was really strange yeah um and i have three daughters and my my youngest daughter does Carly, which is um, uh, martial arts involving stick fighting. Uh-huh. And she's eight. Um, and I do it as well. And she does Muay Thai kickboxing. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, anyone says that girls can't be badass um, has not clearly met one. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, you're right. Okay, you've you've brought up parenthood, which leads me wonderfully to my next question. <laughs> um and also linked to the, the sort of sexism thing, because female writers get asked this all the time. I've never heard a male writer asked this. How do you balance your writing with parenthood? Ooh. All right. Um, first of all, my wife is godsend. Um <laughs> Because she, when I need to go away for work for a con or I've got deadlines or whatever, like tonight, I'm in my office. I've got my my um, my headphones in so I can have this chat. And if there's a problem with the kids, she's going to be on it, dealing with it. Um, probably trying to watch the football at the same time, but she'll be on it, dealing with it. Um, so that's how I. I do it. it, it I've, I've always found it really strange when, as you said, usually women are asked the question of how do you how do you manage, how do you cope parenting and also doing a job, you superwoman, you. <laughs> and last time I checked, there were two people who were parents. And um, if one of you is doing some work, then the other one is parenting. If my wife, when, when my wife is doing something, because she crochets, if she's doing that, um, I'm in charge she's busy trying to finish something and then that's me doing it and the same thing give and take um, yeah I, I find uh, the, the, the youngest is 8 and then the middle is 11 and the oldest is 16 so I don't really need to you know watch them stick make sure they don't stick their fingers in plug sockets or anything like that but mm. um, I, I find yeah I think uh, you just do what you do don't you you just kind of mumble through it and hope to god that you don't screw anybody up bad enough that they need really bad therapy for the rest of their life um 
And uh, yeah, I, you know, me and Vanessa, my wife, we just, we just take turns. We just, that's it. That's yeah. what you have to do. Yeah. Um, How- yeah. It is a question that women get asked and men don't actually. It's a very strange question for, yeah. for, to, to only ask women. I know, and it's, obviously it's not just writers, just any working woman um, yeah, will be yeah. asked. <laughs> it's really as if strange, it's... have you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as, if, as if somehow there's, there's, once the babies are born, that's it. There's, there's, that's their job now. And, and the man should just be smoking cigars outside like a man. Yes. And that's all they should be doing. They should have <laughs> no input in the upbringing of their own children. <laughs> yeah, so... Over the last 13 months, um, have your children been around more? And how has that impact, it impacted your writing output? Yeah, all three of them studied from home. Or they all did their schooling from home. So what would normally happen is um, what my, my normal writing days, I get up in the morning, I go to the gym, I come home, I write until like lunch. And then usually I've gotten one to 2,000 words done and then, if I'm, if I'm feeling like yeah, I need to do some more, then I'll do some more. If I don't, I'll stop for the day. I might do some editing, I might do a bit of reading or work on something else. When the kids are home, usually what happens is my wife took care of the teaching side of things so that I could continue to do work. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that wasn't always possible. And sometimes I went out and did that so she could go and do stuff. Um, so I got less work done, probably. I do have a lockable office, though, so I can hide. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty good. And and my kids, all three of my kids are great. They just kind of got on with it. They just, um, Kira, who's the oldest, was was trying to do for her GCSEs, which now weren't happening, and then no, uh, now aren't again. So she was sort of just mumbling through with the laptop in her bedroom, having to do 50 Zoom chats a day. Um Faith, uh, who's my middle child, she just took her stuff and got on with it. She's never really been one to make a fuss anyway. And Harley was the one who needed help. She's only eight. And um, she was, the pandemic hit just as she was doing her maths times tables and all the rest of it. So between me and my wife, we just kind of tagged, tag teamed various children that needed help at various times and things. If there was an English question or a writing question, me uh maths as well because i studied maths at college um although my daughter's maths is so far beyond anything i did at college it's quite embarrassing uh but then but then you know my wife would help them with with everything else um so yeah it was it was a uh it was a joint effort but my wife definitely did them the lion's share of the teaching i don't have patience at all for teaching i've discovered this <laughs> uh my kids would come and they'd be saying well we've got to do this maths okay okay show me the maths and they'd be like well we've got to do it this way and i'd be like but that's the answer but no but i've got to show it this but that's the answer but i've got to show it all the working out like 13 lines of all the moving numbers about me and i'm going but but that's the answer look i can see it <laughs> from the first bit that's the okay i don't have the patience for it Teachers do not earn anywhere near enough money at all to look after 30 children a day and teach them anything. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's, it's been an interesting uh, 13 months, 14 months, or whatever it's been now. Mm. It's been long. Yes. yes, interesting. It's one of those sort of <laughs> euphemisms, isn't it? <laughs> it is a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... How do you like to keep in touch with your readers? Do you like do you have an email list? Are you active on social media? Like, how can people communicate with you? Um, I'm active on social media. I'm on Facebook. I have a, face, a normal Facebook public account and a page and a um, group. Mm-hmm. Um, the and 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 the group just kind of I don't know where it came from. Uh, I got asked to put one up, and I did. And then like 3,000 people joined it. And I don't really understand quite why they all, where. It just kind of happened. It was very, you know, like, oh, okay, there's lots of, there's thousands of people on there. That's new. Um, and then on Twitter, and then I've got a YouTube channel, which I 
promise people I will do more of and then forget. Um, I, I do. People ask me a lot if I can do videos about writing and how to write and my process. And I say I will. And then the pandemic happened. And it's very hard to do videos when you've got three children in the house. Um, it's a bit unfair of me to say to them, you all need to shut up for an hour so that I could pour, make a video. <laughs> That's very unfair. You know, it's bad enough that they're home without their friends. They don't need to be sat in silence for, for 60 minutes whilst I make a YouTube video. Um, but now that they're going back to school, I can start doing that again. And I have a, web, a, a blog and things like that. Um, I just kind of, uh, a few people have said that I'm, I'm, I'm one of the most approachable authors, which is very nice of them. I don't know how true that is. But um, anytime someone kind of messages me or, or emails me or anything, I always like to take the time to just kind of say, thank you very much. And have a chat and kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm easily findable on, on everything. I'm on Instagram as well, I think. Um, but that's just pictures of whiskey and Lego. So <laughs> that really depends on whether or not your interests run to whiskey and Lego. Uh-huh. Um so yeah, no, I'm on all of the uh, the, the social medias, mm-hmm. which for better or ill, depending on your point of view. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what's on the horizon for you then? What are you writing next? Oh, uh, well, I've just finished. I finished the Diana book, which is off of my agent, and I finished the first book in new series. Um, and the book is called The Last Raven. And that's off with my agent. That's urban fantasy as well, but it's quite a bit different to the Heliquin stuff. And I'm currently writing an epic fantasy, my, uh, my first okay. kind of real ever epic fantasy, which I've been working on for about six years. Um, so I have a really big spreadsheet for this. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's going okay so far. I'm quite enjoying it. I'm quite, quite like world building. I find that fascinating. I quite like um creating history for a world Mm -hmm. and like populating it with various groups and religions and people and belief and all this kind of stuff and i find that really quite fascinating and i like to be able to pull from our own history from from Mm -hmm. from greek roman viking whatever yeah and kind of like go how can i how can i change this how can i kind of that's a really cool idea and let me see what I could do with that. And, um, like the Punic Wars or, or uh, the, the Wall of Roses or whatever. Mm. Um, and kind of change little bits. And uh, But th- this isn't really about it. This is the, the Epic Fantasy is all about uh, uh, one city and it's a prison city and everyone's kind of stuck inside it. Mm. And um, yeah, it's fun. I'm enjoying writing. I don't have I don't have any contracts for anything at the moment, which is why two books are with my agent and I'm writing a third. Um, but I'm hopeful that, I mean, the Diana book will probably be self-published, but I'm hopeful that everything else will be mm. picked up or let me self-publish or, or however it works. Um, and then once I finish this, I've got to write the second book, the sequel to the Diana book. And then I've got to write uh, another book which will probably be uh, apparently it's new weird. I just uh, new weird is sort of uh, well new weird. Um, it's it's sort of uh, in this world. It's not really urban fantasy. It's more kind of Cthulhu-y, kind of like creepy mm. elder goddy stuff. Okay. Um, so I'm going to write something like that because I've had an idea and I want to write that. So I'm just busy is essentially, uh, it's nice to be busy. It's probably better than just sat twiddling your thumbs wondering what you're doing next. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've got lots to do and hopefully they will either be picked up by a publisher or they will be published by me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're at 2021 at a place where an author can say, if a publisher's not going to publish it, then I can. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's that's fine. Yeah. Do you have any um, concerns or strategies in mind for publishing different genres? Like, 
you know, because that's something indies give a lot of consideration to, and I'm just curious if it's... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was told, I've been told a few times, it's very hard for an author to go between genres. Mm. Um, and that publishers, and they don't, they don't really like authors to jump. When you've had a successful urban fantasy, they don't really want you to go and write science fiction. Mm. Um, unfortunately, my brain doesn't work like that. My brain wants me to write whatever my brain wants me to write. So I want to write epic fantasy, and, and that's what I want to write. And if I want to write a science fiction, that's what I want to write. Uh, how easy they will be to maintain any kind of audience I've already built up through, through the helicopter stuff. That is a very good question. I do not know. <laughs> uh, I'm hopeful that a big chunk of people who really liked the helicopter stuff and the other stuff would say, whatever you write, I will check it out. Mm. Um, you know, uh, even if I have to, uh, hopefully with epic fantasy and urban fantasy are close enough that there's some overlap. Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> but hopefully. Um, and and I, I've got plans to, to always write, kind of like go back to the Helicon world and write more stories in that, more books in that, and things like that. So that's sort of my, you know, I can always go back and do that. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't try to do the stuff that I want, also want to write. Mm. Um, it's a bit like I grew up reading comic books and people like Greg Rucker and Ed Brubecker and Gail Simone, they don't write one genre. They write superheroes and thrillers and horror and science fiction and fantasy and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And they're, you know, some of them are indie books that they've written. Some of them are super, from DC or Marvel or Image or whatever. And uh, that's kind of how I want to write. I want to write what makes me feel passionate, not what makes me, you know, uh, the same stuff over and over and over again. I don't want to just yeah. keep. Like, I don't want to stuck get stuck in the urban fantasy book box because that's where my success was mm. originally. I want to be able to say, actually, I want to go do that. Let's see what happens. Let's yeah. try. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got to keep trying and keep kind of trying to get better and seeing what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that was a very long-winded answer, and I apologise. But, yeah, that's, <laughs> that sort of, that's sort of where I, where I am at the point. Do you think that there are a lot of learning opportunities for an author to switch genres and try something different? I'd like to think so. I think I, I, I know quite a few authors, traditionally published authors, whose publishers have said, you're not swapping genres. This is the genre you were successful in. You're not, you're not, you're not going over there. You're not doing that. Mm. And I kind of think that's a bit sad. Yeah. Um, because I would like to think that if you have fans, then some of them will migrate with you to whatever you write and you never know that that new thing i mean kelly armstrong wrote all those urban fantasy books and they were successful and then she moved genre completely and wrote thrillers about an assassin and they were absolutely hugely successful and then she's gone and written sort of a young adult-y kind of magic-y thing and that was hugely successful so she's kind of flipping between them mm. and um I'd like to think that that's possible for any author. If you if you put the work in and you want to do, write a good book, then people will want to read your book. Mm. Um, if you have the audience already, that makes your life 100% more in, um, easier than what it did beforehand. Mm. Uh, I think if I had written Crimes Against Magic and then I was like, that was great. And then I'd gone and written a science fiction book and then I'd gone and written a gothic horror and then I'd gone and written a thriller my focus would be all over the place and I probably wouldn't be able to gather the fans in one genre to mm. bring them with me to other genres. Um, because it would feel like you were always kind of bouncing around and you have different people reading different things. Yeah. So I understand why um, when you have a successful book, a lot of people wouldn't want to jump 
genres because you've maintained a success. Um, and, and a continuous jumping of genres, very few authors do or manage to be successful in doing. Um, you know, Ian Banks wrote horror and wrote massively wonderful science fiction stories. Um, Terry Pratchett wrote fantasy and science fiction and children's horror, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, I'm not comparing myself to either. I'm not suggesting that I'm as good as Ian Banks or Terry Pratchett or anyone starts to complain. Um, I, I'm just uh, I'm just trying to say that I think if you have that backing or some backing, I think it's easier to switch genres than it is otherwise. I think yeah. um, I think otherwise you get kind of pigeonholed very easily um, if you don't have a kind of a, a large backing of people who want to read your work. They only want to read that series or whatever. Um, I think that's the point. And, and, and also there's less people who read these days and there's less money in books these days, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, so it must be difficult, but I'd quite like to think that if I write, if I publish a I don't know, post-apocalyptic thing, some people would read it, <laughs> which is kind of all you want really. Yeah. Uh, for some people to read it yeah <laughs> that's the goal <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i quite like people to read my work um i quite like uh, i it, i was talking to a friend of mine who's an author and and i said that when, when back when i was first um back when i was first entering the business uh a someone in the publisher said to me right you can either have sales or you can have awards what do you want? Because very few people who have all the awards have loads of sales. Very few people have huge sales, have lots of awards. They don't really go together, apparently. Well, they didn't back then. Interesting. And I'd pick sales every single time. There's not even, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I still want to, you know, I want to make money and stuff, but I would rather lots of people read and enjoyed my book than a select number of people read and enjoyed my book but they were critical of it and they could put it forward for awards and stuff mm. i don't know how true that is anymore because i know of people who've won awards and have sold a bucket load of books yeah um but uh, i think there's some truth in it somewhere mm. that a lot of people are critical darlings and it's the same in film and same in tv and things they're not necessarily huge blockbusters who will make a billion they're not marvel Mm. you know but they're this little indie film and critics love it but it probably didn't make any money Mm. yeah (laughs) yeah and if you win an award as well there's then all that pressure of what the next thing you write to be as good yeah i think that's probably true i i uh, i'm not saying that if i won the game i would have been i would have been mortified because i would have been thrilled and i would still be talking about it to everybody i met now (laughs) but uh yeah i i never went into the to to writing to kind of be an award winner or 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 even thought of that that's and i still don't i still don't write something this is gonna win me an award yeah (laughs) i'm gonna make space on my mantelpiece um because i just don't think like that um, I have met people who do think like that, and it's a bit strange. <laughs> I find that mindset of I'm writing a book to get awards, not I'm writing a book that I enjoy, mm. a bit of an odd one, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm always of the opinion you should write the book that you like. If anything else, it's just going through the motions. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you very, very much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, thank you for having me. Could you just give us a quick, and you mentioned your social media and everything, but um, where can our listeners find out more about you and your books? Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter, Steve McHugh. There's two Steve McHugh on Twitter. There's me and there's a chef. <laughs> I'm not a chef. <laughs> it's not difficult to find out which one is which. Um, he's a chef and American and I'm neither of those things uh, and I'm on Facebook um, just Steve McHugh I think my Twitter handle is Steve J McHugh and my Facebook is Steve McHugh um, but 
just basically type in Heliquin Chronicles into Google and you will find me and all of my various books and social media and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm not, uh, I, don't, I don't shy away from, from interacting with people. So um, feel free to come say hello. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. A huge thank you to Steve for sitting down to have a chat with me. Uh, it was a genuine honour. I hope that you guys found it interesting and informative as well. Just a quick reminder of our question of the week. How do you keep track of the details in your books or series? Also remember that if you want to hear all the backstage stuff and get all of the other benefits, you can join us over at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And if you have a minute, please do share the podcast on your social media and tag us so we can share it too. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for unstoppable authors. Until next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unstoppable Authors podcast. We'll be back next week with more of our tenacity and worldly wisdom. Don't forget to visit our website to get the show notes and heaps of helpful blog articles at unstoppableauthors.com. And join our guild of unstoppable authors and you will not only hear from us every week, but you will also get a free digital copy of my book, 30 Days of World Building. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. 